Good morning, everyone. My, uh, I, I was, uh, yes, I was blessed with the COVID merry-go-round a couple of weeks ago, as I know many of you have been. And, uh, and <clears throat> I, I seem to recover fairly good, other than I have no energy, and I might need a stool by the end of the sermon today. And uh, my voice didn't, it stayed in like a couple of weeks ago. It hasn't quite fully arrived yet, but um, I'm 63% sure I'm not contagious anymore. So <laughs> just... Uh, have faith, you in the front row in the spit zone here. Um, I'm I'm uh, I, I'm I'm negative and I'm I'm all good, uh, healed in in Jesus and uh, just still still recovering in faith. But uh, you may have noticed there, uh, you know, with all the different things and stuff set up today, we really can't do these kinds of things as a community without our volunteers. So we want to say thank you so much for all of you who help us. Um, really makes our church special and makes us who we are. Uh, we, as Oliver said, you know, it's like beginning into summer and it's like, man, our hot dog bill is going higher and higher. And, um, and so if you want to give in the offering, sometimes we have like, there's missions and there's special projects. There's an extra blank line on the envelope. You can just write down hot dogs and like throw in a couple hundred bucks to help get us over this summer launch uh, hump. But we do appreciate all your generosity and being a part of, uh, of our church and, and, uh, and helping partners with us in ministry in that way. Uh, we do have these days. The reason we have these days where we have the kids stuff and hot dogs and hanging out and it's really to build community and to create an opportunity for us to connect together as the church because we know that just being a part of a, a Sunday service doesn't you know, necessarily mean that you're connected with others. And so as a leadership, it's really our our way of trying to be intentional to create the opportunity for people to visit, stick around for a few minutes, and, uh, and get to know some people and, and share some moments together. And that's why we do communion together. It's why we worship together. It's why we come together as God's people. Uh, we do believe that we are designed to be the people of God in relationship. This is part of our spiritual existence. John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus says this, uh, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I love this little simple couple of verses. It really speaks internally about us loving one another as Christ loved us. The way Christ loved us was sacrificially laid down his life for us. Christ says, love one another, lay your lives down, submit to one another, serve one another. And then it says, and externally there's another impact because the world will see, the world will see my love in you and it will speak of a testimony of the grace and the love of Jesus to others. And connection with other believers is an important part of our spirituality. So we're glad that you're with us today. Uh, we do come from diverse backgrounds, but we gather together as the church under our faith in God, not our preference on whether you're a Starbucks snob or a Tim's person, or maybe, you know, and you're probably wrong in this, but maybe you're like nabob coffee out of the can at home is the best. And you know, that's your way you swing today. Then that word, you're, you're, there's grace. You can be a part of our community and uh, everyone's welcome. And you know, the, we're, we're different and we're eclectic and yet we come together to focus on Jesus. And that really is one of the beautiful things about the church because Jesus becomes this unifying point for us. 
Uh, authors and theologians, Michael Frost and Alan Hirsch, write in, uh, they, they have a book called The Shaping of Things to Come, and in it they write on the difference between a grace-centric community and a control-centric community. And being from Australia, they use the illustration of ranchers who are overseeing and caring for their herds. And in some places of the world, a a ranch can be maybe rather small. The terrain is even and well-maintained. And the farmer's approach is simply to put a fence around the herd to keep them in. There's a heavy emphasis on keeping the herd all together all the time, keeping everything else out and just kind of uh, navigating it that way. But in Australia, in the Australian outback, the terrain is too vast and rugged to rely on a fence. The ranchers don't have the financial resources. They don't have the time. They can't build it. They can't maintain it. It's impossible to ask over uh, all this rough, rugged terrain as the animals move around from place to place. And so Australian ranchers have learned a different approach. They've learned that the way to keep their herd close is by providing a stable, sustainable source of food and water. The rancher doesn't try to control the herd because he knows a good source of fresh water means the animals will not roam too far for too long. And they always will come back and identify to this one central place. Frost and Hirsch liken this to spiritual communities as they look at how church culture and leadership is set up in churches and different styles of leadership. The fence approach represents this control-centric idea of community where the church is rooted in what's called bounded set thinking. It's a sociological term, bounded set thinking. And this, this is when a church tells its people how and what to think on various issues while trying to keep others who see things differently on the outside. And they liken providing a fresh watering hole in the midst of a barren wilderness to a grace-centric community where the church is rooted in what's called centered set thinking. Churches that do this are not trying to control their people and instead the focus is helping their people meet Jesus, connect with Jesus so that they can grow and form their own convictions and worldviews and kind of work things out on their own as the Spirit of God infuses their life and helps them. And it's this idea that they would connect to Jesus as the source of living water, the well that is always there, the centric thinking that we always come to Jesus. He's always there, he's the point, he's the purpose. And that really, as far as a culture, and when we think of community, and we think of things here at the church, and you wonder what do we think about some of these things, that's really our hope. That's really what we would try to model. That we've all faced some challenges over the past couple of years. And at times I know people have hoped that the church and the pastor would say something more specific and address something more direct and tell the people what to do. And we would take a stand on something. And I understand that that comes from 
all different spectrums, all different sides of the paradigm. And sometimes there's that expectation. And we wondered and we wrestled through, we talked about this, those things. What do, we, what do we do? How do we best shape things? How do we best lead forward? We had conversations with people on both sides of the mask issue. If you remember the mask issue, I am still losing sleep at night over the mask issue. We did. There's people that were like, they wanted us to like, let's throw the masks in the garbage. Let's not be afraid. Let's, you know, let's not follow the rules. Let's do it this way. Let's be free. We had other people that were like, you know, why are there people who are coming to church? And you said there's a mask rule, but they're not all wearing it. And, and both sides of the spectrum. And we're faced with these difficult decisions on like, what, what are we supposed to do? And what do we, do we bring down this one thing and everybody's got to do it. And we got to tell everybody what to do. Some people wanted us to speak publicly against getting the vaccine. And others wanted to know why we didn't make more of a public statement encouraging our people to get vaccinated. And I would say this, church, that we have always tried to be more of a centered, set church focused on helping you connect with Jesus and form your own convictions on some of these secondary issues rather than a bounded, set church that is focused on telling you what to think about things that are not essential to the gospel or your faith. We have a diverse community. And anytime the church elevates a secondary issue to an essential issue, we'll cause division and get our eyes off of Jesus. I was thinking about this in terms of our families and so many of them, I've talked to some of our young couples as they begin to have kids, their kids get to the age where they're ready to go to school and kindergarten and start that journey in their life. And, and so many of our families, they go through this whole process of like, do we homeschool? Do we send our kids to Christian school? Do we send our kids to public school? What should we do? And they're wrestling through that and they're talking to their friends. And you know what? There are some people who choose to homeschool their kids because they see it's part of their responsibility as parents to ensure and be sure what their kids are learning. The world is corrupt, they wanna oversee that, that's their responsibility, they think that's their call and their gift and they're gonna be intentional about it. We know that there are some people who put their kids in a Christian school because they want their kids to get an education that's got some biblical balance and some teaching in it and some, uh, the ability to live out in community with like-minded friends and families and join together and have their kids have some spiritual experiences as part of their education. And we know that there are some families who choose to put their kids in public school because they believe they are called to be salt and light and they wanna help their kids learn to hold their own faith while those kids are still at home and still have the support and encouragement and the advice of mom and dad to navigate those choices. And the thing is, is that when we come to those kinds of decisions in a community, they're all right. It's your conviction, it's your faith. You work it out, you talk to your friends, you seek advice, you wrestle it through. You may decide one thing and you may shift to something else. You see, it's not the church's job or the pastor's job to tell you what to do in all of these single secondary issues. It's the church's job to create a place where you as a family and your friends, your kids are blessed and encouraged and cared for, where they can come and they can dance at the front and celebrate. They can go to a bouncy castle. They can skin their knees on the pavement. Sorry about that, parents. They can get like, you know, ice cream and they can get like, they make your car dirty on the way home after church. And like, 
I want us to create a community where our families are blessed and you're doing the best you can to raise your kids and you're working it out. It's a complicated, complex world. And I don't want us to be the kind of church where as pastors and leaders, we are always trying to overstep and always trying to tell you what you need to do and how you should do it. Figure out those things in your own convictions. And we hope that the house is a safe community where you are empowered to form your own convictions. You can decide if you want your coffee black or double-double or somewhere in between. The, as I was thinking about this, this idea, I was thinking about like reflections of community and this idea that I think diversity is a strength. I think we lose perspective of this. The scriptures describe the church as a body made up of unique parts. First Corinthians 12, Paul says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? The church is designed to be an eclectic mix of people who are gathered together under the headship of Jesus. Jesus is the head, we are the body, all different parts, we're diverse, we're eclectic, we're not the same, specifically designed that way. And we are unified under the head of Jesus. And one of the challenges to contemporary spiritual community is the tendency to replace our eclectic unity under Jesus in favor of being with people who act and think and vote and believe on things just the way we do. And we begin to become more polarized and more isolated and align ourselves to just people who see everything the same. And this is not exclusive to the church by any means and all of us have seen this in culture. Sociologists, there's not a person who denies that this has become a larger phenomenon and a problem in contemporary culture, this idea of polarization and of people dividing and the issues of divisiveness. It's been amplified over the past couple years. Sociologists call this social tribalism. It's actually a pejorative term that describes our human proclivity to identify with like-minded individuals who share our ideology. This goes all the way back to the idea that birds of a feather flock together. Well, the risk, of course, is the more we identify with one particular camp, the more we are to lose perspective and understanding and maybe even mercy and grace to those who are different than us. And the unfortunate thing is in Christian community, many of the things that people tend to focus on are secondary issues. They're not essential to our faith. They're not essential to the gospel. And we're losing friendships and we're losing connection and our churches are becoming more myopic and more monoculture built around issues that really shouldn't be our issues. And this is a challenge for us. When I was a kid growing up in grade five, there were four guys on the block, a group of five of us. We hung out all the time. One of the kids was named Darcy, lived down the block from me. And as kids often do at that age and stage, we would go and hang out with one, at one another's houses. And you could go to one place, play video games, raid the fridge, and then go to the next guy's house and get ice cream. And we, it was awesome. We had the whole thing down. And this is what we would do. But the thing is this, none of us ever wanted to go hang out at Darcy's house. Darcy and his family had two big old dogs and they were home all day on their own and they just put food out for them and these old 
gentle dogs that were half dumb, half blind, stumbled around, lost the ability to control their bladders and their bowels. And you can imagine the state of their house. And none of us ever liked getting invited over for dinner to Darcy's house. And we never wanted to go and hang out there. The smell, it was rank, it was like a barnyard. And as soon as you would walk in the front door, it would just hit you. But the interesting thing is, is that Darcy and his brother and his family, they, 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 they were nose blind. They didn't know. They couldn't smell their own smell anymore. They had been in it for so long, it didn't hit them like it hit us. And I wonder, could it be, could it be that sometimes that can happen to us in the church? I wonder if sometimes we're, we become so alike, we align ourselves so many times with just the people that see things our way, that we become nose blind to our own smell. You see, diversity in the body helps bring perspective. It helps bring understanding. It helps bring even a level of accountability. And why do you choose what you do? And why do you believe what you do? And I've been thinking about this. I'm not sure. What do you think? And, and accountability and perspective comes from diversity in the body of Christ. It's why we are not all a nose. It's why we are not all an ear. What good would that do? There is a strength in diversity in the body of Christ. Another reflection I have on community is that Jesus is the main thing. As God's people, we gather together first and foremost around the gospel of Jesus and his promise to make all things new. This is our hope that we have in Jesus. And the essence of spiritual community is much deeper than voting on the same party or whether we fly a Canadian flag on our vehicle or not. Elevating secondary issues to essential issues will always divide us and distract us from the big picture of the gospel and us being salt and light in this world. Church, our common ground is found in the cross of Jesus. Our common ground is not dictated on our position on pipelines or extreme weather or any number of issues or things that come along, global warming or GMO food supplies or take your pick on whatever things people form pretty strong opinions and convictions on. You see, it's not wrong to have your opinions and your convictions on those things. The issue becomes when we begin to demand and expect other people to believe those things and choose those things because how else could they ever follow Jesus? That's really what they should do if they really love Jesus. That's where we get off track. That's where we start to forget that Jesus is the main thing. And all these other things are secondary to Jesus. I'm reminded that the temptation to elevate secondary issues to essential issues is not new to us. It's been a challenge since the early church, since the days of Jesus and the disciples. The Apostle Paul writes in the book of Galatians this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. 
which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that was preached to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. There is this idea where Paul is astonished. He opens his letter to the Galatians. I'm astonished that you have traded your faith. You have surrendered your faith over for a substitute for something else. You've so easily been distracted. You're so easily led to follow a false gospel. And he gives a warning to false teachers. What does Paul mean to follow a different gospel? You see, one of the main obstacles to the early church is a prevalence of legalism. This is the human effort to justify oneself before God based on works. And the religious construct of the day for Jesus being a first century Jew, for the disciples being first century Jews, for the gospels taking place within about nine miles along the Sea of Galilee in Jewish culture, Jewish world, and they're living this out and they're becoming and taking hold of their Christian faith. And as they're doing that, they're doing this in the midst of a Jewish construct that would say that you can become holy and you can earn eternal life by following the rules. And as a result, the temple leaders placed all kinds of burdensome requirements on people. And it's no wonder the gospel of Jesus, the reign of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus, it's no wonder it causes such a stir and such an upheaval. Because when Jesus comes and he begins to preach the good news, it's good news of eternal life as a gift freely given by God through his son to all who would believe. And all of a sudden, Jesus is calling people to stop taking their eyes off one another and off who's following what rules and who's doing what and who's believing what and to direct your eyes towards him as the Messiah, the son of God, to put your faith in Jesus. The good news of Jesus is eternal life is freely given by God. It is a gift offered in love and grace and it is not earned by human effort or human works or following the rules. But old habits are really hard to break. And the first converts to Christianity, the first group of people that begin to identify and follow Jesus and form spiritual community are converts from a Jewish background. They're Jewish converts to Jesus, to Christianity. And they begin mixing their own arbitrary requirements into the gospel. And this is the understanding of a lot of what we read in the New Testament churches. It's why Paul wrote the majority of the letters to the churches was to address these issues of false teaching and false rules and, and putting things on people. And this is what Paul is talking about when he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He says, it's not even a gospel at all. 
And some people are throwing you into confusion and they're trying to actually pervert the gospel of Jesus. Well, the false gospel that Paul is talking about in this passage is the Jewish convert Christians are trying to force their Gentile convert brothers in the Lord to get circumcised. I'll just let you sit under that word for a minute so we can get the awkwardness out of the way. The Jewish converts were trying to tell the Gentile converts, if you're really gonna follow Jesus, if you really wanna show and you really wanna prove and you really wanna make it known that you are a Christian, then you have to get circumcised like we are because that's a sign that we're God's people and God is upon us. And they begin mixing in old thinking, old rules, culture, tradition, personal convictions and preferences and forcing it on another group of people. And Paul addresses this. And in Philippians 3, 2, 3, this is what Paul says. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. And Paul would teach that we are circumcised in the heart. That's where God has made us pure. That's where God has made us holy. That's where God has put his mark on our lives. And there is this back and forth in the New Testament church of people telling somebody else that you have to do it this way. You have to believe this way. If you're going to follow Jesus, this is what it means for you. And the spirit of legalism was prevalent in the early church. And that's how it manifested itself. And it was usually always over secondary issues. And what it does is it pollutes and it corrupts the gospel. And Paul says this, it's not wrong to be circumcised or uncircumcised, but it's wrong to demand others have to do something because it's your conviction. And this is a spiritual principle of legalism. Spiritual warfare, spirits at work, sometimes legalism can get a hold in a church and a church can get burdened down with trying to make people do things and you should do it this way and this is the expectation and if you're here, this is what it means and you have to do it. Scott McKnight's a wonderful New Testament theologian, one of my favorite authors and thinkers of New Testament scripture. Scott McKnight says, legalism is any practice or belief that is added to the gospel that compromises the sufficiency of Christ as savior and jeopardizes the adequacy of the spirit in moral guidance. Secondarily then, legalism demands that one adopt a group's special markers in order to be fully acceptable to God. I'm gonna invite the band to come. We're gonna get ready to close and go into communion. And um, I, I thought a lot about this message because I know that people, they're sometimes looking for us to say, why don't you tell us what to do? Why don't you pick a line? Why don't you just give us a direction? And we did, we did give direction. We did pick a line. But it wasn't to pick one issue over another. It wasn't to tell you what to think about secondary things. 
church, beware and be cautious of other believers who operate in a spirit of legalism, who try to make you fit into a certain mold or think a certain way because they're convinced it's the only way and it's the right way and it's the proper way and it's the Jesus way. Beware of any pastor who tries to control how you think on secondary issues. Beware of a church that tries to make all of its people think the same thing on secondary issues instead of focusing on the cross of Jesus. Now we are far from perfect. We can do better in many areas. As pastors, we're not perfect. We, we're just like anybody else. And I would not say with any level of pride that I think we're better than any other church. That's not what this message is about. But we have worked through some of this over the last couple of years. And I think that what we've found, if we think, what have we learned? Some of the things we've learned over the last couple of years is I think it's better for us in the church to not tell you what to think about every single issue. But I like that idea of the centered set thinking where Jesus is the wellspring of living water. He's the watering hole in the middle of a barren wasteland. And as a church community, we create a place where you can come and be with Jesus. You can worship Jesus, you can hear from Jesus, you can meet with him, and you can even begin to walk through some of these things in community with others. It's not wrong to seek input from other people. It's not even wrong to share what you feel on an issue with somebody else. The point is, we don't demand everybody see everything the way we are on secondary issues. We keep our eyes on the gospel. We keep our eyes on the cross. And I think that as a church community, we're, as leaders and pastors, we're trying to figure that out and that balance. That's why we say some of the things we do, why we make some of the decisions we do. I want you to know this, that our hope is that we can create a safe place community for you to come and be with Jesus as the living well, the living water to fill up your life. And you can work out stuff like this in community and relationship with others. And we're not gonna tell you from the top, it has to be this way. May we be a safe place that we can do that. And the gathering point and the main thing, the main thing is the cross, is Christ crucified, rose from the dead, lives in our heart, forgives our sin, renews us, redeems us, gives us life, gives us healing, gives us salvation, sets us into a life worth living. That's the focus. That's what we wanna hold on to. And so today, we're gonna take communion. I have asked Pastor Oliver to lead in communion because I wasn't sure I'd be able to make it through with my voice today. And this is the gathering point for the church. Yes, hot dogs and popcorn and snow cones and face paint and hanging out and balloons and bouncy castles. Yeah, they're up there, they're pretty cool, they're good. But really, the cross of Christ gathered together honoring Jesus to honor one another 
is the church. And so that's what we put our hope and our faith in. Pastor Oliver is going to come and lead us in community.